Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. As far as holidays go, July the 4th is definitely, it's one of my favorites. I mean, I like Christmas. I like Easter, of course. I'm a pastor. I need to like Easter. But July the 4th, I mean, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie. Well, I mean, not not the baseball right now, but maybe again next year. I mean, July the 4th is so much fun. My, My favorite part of July the 4th is fireworks. When I was really little, I remember going to watch fireworks and being a little bit afraid of them. One of my earliest memories, though, of watching fireworks was wondering what people in other countries did to celebrate July the 4th. I asked my mom one day, hey, what do people in other countries do? And she said, you'll learn about that in high school, American history. Eventually I got to high school and I took US history and realized that no one else celebrates July the 4th. And the reason is because July the 4th, as you are all aware, is the celebration of the writing, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So quick history lesson in case you have been out of US history high school for a long time. Here's how it starts. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those were brand new ideas when our country was forming. I mean, it's really incredible. The US, the United States was founded on these kind of principles, but but, but here's what we can easily miss. These weren't just principles that we borrowed from all these other countries. The, these in a very real way, they were new principles. This is why the United States is called the grand experiment. Now to be completely transparent, we borrowed this idea from the Iroquois Indians. They already had a system of government very similar to this for the people, by the people, but to do it on a national scale as a government for a a nation, it was a brand new idea, a brand new set of values. These were new principles, but these were new principles that also bumped into some old practices. These were brand new values, but there were also some existing behaviors here in this, this country, here in this land. There were these existing practices that were beginning to bump into these new principles. I mean, we, we tend to think of our country as kind of beginning in 1776. And I guess in a way, the United States began in 1776 on that July 4th, but Uh, We were having practices here in the land well before 1776. I mean, for hundreds of years before that. I mean, the the founding of the United States was not from a clean slate. We we didn't come into this thing without any other behaviors, without any other practices in place. There were lots of practices in place before these new principles were elevated. And as you probably know, those the, 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 the idea of, of existing practices bumping into new principles, it creates some, some problems. I mean, these were new principles here in the country that bumped into some old practices that created a lot of new tensions. We, we know this is true in our life, right? I mean, for instance, there's a very personal one for me. I have a principle of being healthy. I also have a practice of liking bad food. Those two things bump into each other and create tension. 
Now, for some reason, the bad food always wins for me, but you get the idea. So as the United States, we created this new country with these incredibly kind of new principles, but we had a lot of existing practices. And when those practices bumped in, they were misaligned with some of these new principles that created all sorts of tensions. Now, there are lots of kinds of tensions we could talk about, multitudes of tensions where these new principles in the country bumped into old existing practices. But I thought maybe we should talk about the most awkward of all of them, but also the one that might illustrate the tension the best. And this is hard to even talk about, but I think it's the perfect one to look at because there is so much tension in it when the practice bumps into the new principle. It's the tension of, of slavery. See, in our country, this idea of slavery had been happening for a long time before the declaration was written that all men are to be created equal and given life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. I mean, that, that principle was bumping into this old practice. But what we forget sometimes is that slavery didn't just start with the United States in 1776. I mean, slavery had been around in this country, in this land before it was a country. (laughs) It had been around since the beginning of time. That's how old slavery was. Slavery first began when one person decided they could take advantage of someone else and profit off of someone else, abuse and use and oppress someone else. So slavery has been around since the beginning of time because brokenness and sin have been around since the beginning of time. We read this in the history books that when Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, he brought Africans with him who became slaves for those new settlers. And it wasn't even just with Christopher Columbus. Everyone who was sailing over from Europe brought African slaves with them to all the different areas they were coming to up and down all of the Americas. This isn't even just a US thing. And the reason that was happening is because in Europe, slavery had been in full force for centuries. It wasn't even new to them. Here in the United States, we know that slavery was a big tension amongst the principles that we were elevating. The reason we know that is because when you look at the writing of the US constitution, you study kind of what was happening during those conversations, what you find is that slavery was by far the most contentious issue of all of them. When you read through the US constitution, you don't see the word slavery, but what you do see is things that allude to it. And you see this thing in the constitution that gives the South three-fifths credit for every slave. So they had some representation in the government. But, but what a horrible picture of a practice bumping into a principle that we would say that all men are created equal, yet we're only gonna call some men three-fifths of a, a person. And, and this was a growing tension. It didn't just end with the writing of the constitution. Uh, over time, the enslaved people groups of the South totaled around 4 million people. And I'm sure that some of the slaves were treated better than others, but even the best treated slave was still owned by someone else, not able to experience life, liberty, and their own pursuits of happiness. We also know that a lot of slaves were treated really poorly, from being beaten to being sexually abused to, to being bred to create better opportunities for working in the fields or maybe to be sold. 
I mean, think about this for a minute. When you, when you see the Declaration of Independence, that, that we hold these truths, these truths to be self-evident, that all men, all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator, God, right? Who he's talking about with certain unalienable rights that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's a principle, but it's certainly not aligned with the practice. Thomas Jefferson, you may know this, Thomas Jefferson was one of the key authors of the Declaration of Independence. And he personally was experiencing the tension of this document because he owned in his lifetime somewhere around 600 slaves. He, he didn't know what to do with that tension. You, you, when you study Thomas Jefferson, you see so clearly that the idea that all men were created equal against the fact that he owned people it was really creating a misalignment and created so much tension for him personally. Jefferson at some point suggested that maybe there were some natural or biological differences between the races. So he asked some scientists to figure that out. Now, this won't be a surprise. He asked some white scientists to find out if there was some differences biologically between white people and non-white people and of course, those scientists were able to discover something that they claimed made a difference. This is where race science actually began. Race science was driven by these social and economic interests. It was very much a way to resolve some of that tension. I mean, really the, the key idea, the key idea of racial inferiority was created to justify unequal treatment. Because when our practices bump into principles and there's a misalignment, we have to justify it. We have to do something with it. That's actually a really important pathway for us to pay attention to. See, here in our country, these were new principles that were bumping into some old practices. And that created a lot of new tensions and those tensions demanded resolutions. And you know that's true. Because new beliefs don't easily replace existing behaviors, do they? New principles, no matter how much we aspire to them, don't easily replace existing practices. And this isn't just a USA problem and it's not even a slavery problem, although that was a big problem. This is just a people problem. As I said earlier, it's a sin problem. This idea of uh, practices and principles not aligning, it's been around since the beginning of time too, because we've been around since the beginning of time. And sin and brokenness have been around since the beginning of time. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on the earth, he knew that this was a big issue. He knew that this was gonna be an issue that we as Jesus followers would struggle with our entire life. There's this incredible moment where Jesus is with his disciples and he's teaching them and he addresses this tension in the conversation. Matthew wrote it down for us. Matthew was one of the disciples. Now, really quick, Matthew was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst for the Jewish community. I mean, he was the most hated of the hated. And then he became a disciple with the other 12, the other 11 Jewish guys. And you can imagine how those conversations went. They all hated Matthew and now he's one of them. I mean, what a weird tension to live in. So Matthew, Matthew is paying a lot of attention to those tensions. 
And Matthew is paying a lot of attention to the experiences he's having with Jesus because Jesus is treating Matthew very differently than everyone else who kind of looked like Jesus did. So when, when Jesus taught this, Matthew wrote it down for us. And if Jesus were here today, talking to you, talking to me as a Jesus follower, I think he'd say the same thing. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, this is for you. If you're not, hang with us because this is gonna give you some incredible insight, I think, to why you've been pushing back against Christianity. And not just about the idea of Christianity, it's probably why you've been pushing back against Christians. Because what we're about to discover is that becoming a Christian is pretty easy, but following Jesus, it isn't as easy. It makes us hypocrites so quickly. Here's what Jesus said that Matthew wrote down for us. Then Jesus said to his disciples, all the 12 guys, whoever wants to be my disciple, now really quick pause, that word disciple is an important word. It means learner or follower. Back 2000 years ago, rabbis, Jewish rabbis would have disciples and the disciples would follow them with the intent of becoming like them. They would study under them. They would follow under them. They would mimic what they saw. They would treat people the way the rabbi treated people. They would interpret the Torah the way that the rabbi interpreted the Torah with the idea one day being that they would become a rabbi and continue those traditions and have their own disciples who would then continue those traditions. So Jesus is looking at this ragtag group of, of 12 guys and he looks at him and he says, whoever wants to be one of those people, those disciples, those followers, those learners, whoever wants to mimic what you're seeing in me, whoever wants to continue the teachings that you're getting from me, whoever wants to be one of those people, you're gonna need to do three things. He basically gives us and them a recipe for following Jesus. And it isn't an easy recipe to follow. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. What does that mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, you probably know this, but the default of ourselves is ourselves. The default is to be selfish. I mean, the, the default in our, and it's just because we're human, we're, we're just sinful, but our default position is to put us first, to put our needs first, to put our wants first, to put our desires first. And Jesus says, hey, I understand that that's the default. But, but if you wanna follow me, if you wanna be a disciple of mine, you're gonna need to rethink that. You're gonna need to deny yourself. You're gonna need to intentionally put yourself second. You're gonna have to become selfless. You're gonna have to deny selfishness. You're gonna have to see the needs and wants of others and put them ahead of you. I mean, he could have just stopped there and it would have made us all pause because that by itself is hard enough. But, but Jesus wasn't done. He, he takes it up a notch he says, not only if you wanna be a disciple, do you need to deny yourself and put others first, you also need to take up your cross. Now we hear the word take up your cross now, we think, okay, that, that doesn't sound great, but man, 2000 years ago, if someone said to you, take up your cross, it was a death sentence because to take up your cross meant to pick up the beam that you were going to be nailed to, staked to, drag it to the place of your crucifixion, and be put to death there. 
That's what would happen when you were, when you were sentenced to, to crucifixion, to death, they would tell you to take up your cross after you were beaten. A lot of people didn't even make it through the beating, but then you would take up your cross. You would drag that beam to the place of your crucifixion where you were to die. When it came to the cross, there was no plan B. Like no one took up their cross and thought, let's see how this goes. When you took up your cross, it was a guaranteed death of yourself. And 2000 years ago, everyone knew what that meant. Everyone knew to take up your cross was a death sentence, that there was no turning back. There was no, let's see how it goes. They had all seen it. They had smelled it. They had heard the wailings from it. So when Jesus suggests that if you wanna be a disciple of mine, it's more than just studying the Bible scripture. It's more than just watching what I do. It's more than even just denying yourself. It's dying to yourself. It's killing that thing in you that puts you first. It's killing pride in you. That's a hard thing to do. But if you wanna be a follower, a disciple, apparently that's what we're called to do. And the last thing he says is that Disciples are to follow him, but, but not follow Jesus as in like following the leader to the cafeteria in elementary school, like following Jesus as in doing everything that he does, living the way that he does, mimicking what he does, loving others the way that he does. And, and, and I probably don't need to remind you that a few months later, he puts this on dramatic display when he carried his cross and when he denied himself and his desires and he took up his cross and died for you and, and died for me. And he put that kind of followership on display. Loving people who would never love him back. Dying for people who would never die for others. I mean, think about this. Jesus hung on a cross with full knowledge that there were people in that audience who would always hate him. As he was hanging there, people are spitting and mocking him. And you remember what he does? He doesn't rain down angel armies upon them. He prays to God and says, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He died for you, not knowing if you would accept him. I mean, what an unbelievable example of loving others, of denying yourself, of taking up a cross, and following your heavenly father. You see, as a Christian, come on, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, if you take Jesus seriously, if you take the apostle Paul seriously, if you take any of the writings of the New Testament seriously, it means that we're probably gonna bump into places where our practices don't really match the principles that we aspire. I mean, it is not easy for us, right? It is not easy for our past practices to be mis to, to align with, with these new principles. It's so easy for those to be misaligned. And the reason is kind of like the United States. When, when we became a Christian, when we became a Jesus follower, we didn't start clean. We, we, we entered into this relationship with Jesus with all of these practices in place. Now, it's, it's kind of ironic that the practices that we have in place are the reason that we need a relationship with Jesus. It's the sinful practices in our life that create the need for a relationship with Jesus. But, but just because we started a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that those practices are automatically gone. They, they have a way of kind of coming with us. 
And inevitably, it happens to every one of us, inevitably, we bump into this Christian principle that doesn't align with our current life practices. And when our Christian principles bump into our old non-Christian practices, we find all sorts of tensions. I mean, think about how this works for us. You've, you've experienced, if you're a Jesus follower, you've experienced these before. I mean, wait a minute. I have to forgive them? Gavin, if you knew what they did, if you knew the whole story, to which I guess God would say, yeah, I, I do know the whole story. But the value of forgiveness is a Christian principle that you've been called to. And, and I know that the story is bad. And I know that the practice that we have is to not forgive, but, but we're called to something greater. And so we need to forgive. Whew, that's hard. You, you, wait a minute. You, do you mean to, to be a disciple of Jesus means I have to date differently? Or, or, or it means I have to stop dating her? To stop dating him, I have to, I have, what, I have to move out? This is an economic conversation. This isn't a moral conversation. Which Jesus would go, yeah, I know. I know it, that, that is a good argument. But there's also a principle. And there is a practice. And I wonder if they're misaligned. Gavin, in, my, in the business world that I work in, now I know you worked in the marketplace and I'm sure that was different. But in my business, in my industry, you don't make it without cheating a little bit. Like you don't make it, you, you, you gotta be, a, I mean, we're not lying, lying, but we're, it's white lies. I mean, it's a little dishonest. We're, we're, we're just a, not paying all of our taxes. We're not being completely, you know, true. But how am I gonna get by if I don't? Everybody else is doing it. If I don't keep up, I'm gonna get left behind. But, but there is a principle and there's a practice I mean, with our money, this is one of the most emotional ones, right? Jesus is constantly calling us to generosity and we are constantly calling ourselves to achieve more, to get more, to buy more, to have more. Those are misaligned all the time, aren't they? Or how about our time, which is actually our most valuable resource because when you spend time, you don't get to get it back. And Jesus calls us to serve others. Yet that takes time that I could be doing something else with usually for me, if I'm honest, or to be a peacemaker. How about this principle? <laughs> that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. <laughs> to which I wanna say, hey, this is one for me. I wanna say, live at peace with most people. Because there are some ones though that living at peace with, they're, they're the most unpeaceful people. They're the worst. Have you seen the way they treat people? Have you seen the way they act? Have you seen the way they behave? Have you seen the way they vote? Can't live at peace with those people much less be in unity with those people. How can I possibly be unified with those people? Well, here's the hardest one. We talk about this one all the time, that, that Jesus gave us a brand new command as followers, that we are to love others the way that he first loved us. We ask the question all the time, what does love require of me? Oh man, that's a painful question to answer, isn't it? Because love requires that I deny myself and I take up my cross and that I follow the way that Jesus has loved others. You see, when, when our new Christian principles bump into these old non-Christian practices, we do find all sorts of tensions, don't we? And those tensions, they really do demand resolutions. Or maybe the, the, the Christian church word is they, they demand repentance. You know what repentance is, right? Re repentance is just a change of mind. 
Now, now a change of mind that probably does lead to a change of behavior, a change of, of practice, but, but repenting just means that we recognize what we've been doing is misaligned with what God has commanded from us. That's all it means. Repentance is just the recognition that, uh-oh, Jesus has a principle and I have a practice and, and they're just not aligned. And I'm gonna change my mind about that. I'm going to choose to believe that God's ways are better than my ways. I'm going to choose to deny me to, to follow him. I'm gonna choose to, to die to me to live for him. See, I, I think this is why Jesus started the whole thing with the whoever wants to be part. I mean, he didn't say everybody do this. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, the connotation being not all of you are going to want to do this. <laughs> not all of you are going to be willing to really be a disciple of mine. Not, not all of you are actually going to follow me. And the reason is because disciples deny themselves and and they die to desires and they conform to really uncomfortable commands. But, but what's our other option as a Jesus follower? Because the principles and our practices, whenever they're out of alignment, it's always gonna create tension. And, and it's really difficult to live in that tension and do nothing with it. If we go back to US history for a minute, Thomas Jefferson is a great proof of that. Thomas Jefferson writes the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and should have rights and life and liberty and be able to pursue happiness. Yet at the same time, he's living, practicing a way that's denying that to people. It was a very difficult tension for him. And it seems like he lived in the tension and wrestled with it for a long, long time. In 1820, this is 44 years after he wrote the Declaration of Independence. In 1820, Thomas Jefferson, he's giving a speech and he talks about slavery. And look what, what he says in the middle of the tension. He says, we have the wolf by the ear. The wolf, he was alluding to slavery. It was the illustration. So the wolf is slavery. We, we have slavery, the wolf by the ear. And we can neither hold him nor safely let him go. You see the tension in that? Justice is one scale and self-preservation in the other. I mean, in a very real way, that's the tension. Thomas Jefferson says, when it comes to slavery, we've got justice in one hand. We know that these men should be treated differently, that they should be equal, that they should have the same rights that I have. At the same time, we've got a social interest. We have an economic interest. And if we let go of one, the scales will tip and I'm not sure which way we should hold on to. I don't know which way the scale should tip. It's a tension, but it is requiring a resolution. I probably don't even have to ask you this, but I mean, you know, while we're talking about it, here's the real question, right? Are, are there any practices in your life that are just misaligned with, with the Christian principle? Like, is there... Is there anything that you're just kind of ignoring? Maybe you were sitting at Woodstock City, you were watching online one day and you heard someone talk about an idea and Jesus said this and you thought, oh wait, if he said that, I'm doing that. I, those aren't aligned. Is there any of that that you're just kind of ignoring? Or maybe you heard a principle, you heard a Christian principle 
and you thought, well, okay, but I'm gonna add a little to it to make it better for me. Or, or maybe, maybe you've just rationalized it. Yeah, I know that's the principle, but my practice looks like this because. I know that's the value, comma, but. Are you rationalizing anything? I, I hate this question. I almost didn't even ask you this question. And, and here's why. Because I feel personally that if I ask you a question, I need to answer it myself. And if I'm gonna ask you and hold you to a question, I have to hold myself to the question. And, and I can just tell you, I mean, I can tell you right now, the answer for me is yes. There are practices in my life that are not aligned with Christian principles. And the reason I can tell you that is because I'm human like you are and I'm sinful like you are. I'm broken like, like you are. And I didn't come to Christianity with a clean slate either. I, I was a man well before I was a Christian and well before I was a pastor. I mean, I mean, you look at me possibly and you think that as a pastor, you know, maybe I'm like closer to living this out than everybody else is. But I mean, come on. I, I get as angry as you do, maybe angrier at times. I've misbehaved during sporting events. I've treated my wife terrible. I've yelled at my kids. I mean, I've done all those things. Those principles aren't any different for me and my practices sometimes aren't any different. And I'm so grateful that God's grace covers those things up, but it's very convicting for me because as a Jesus follower, not as a pastor, forget that, just as a Jesus follower, I really do wanna be a disciple. I wanna follow well, I wanna deny myself, I wanna do those things, but man, it is a hard recipe to follow because everything in me wants to put me first. Everything in me wants to die to everything else but me. But, but if I'm gonna be a disciple, if I'm gonna be a follower, it's a recipe I'm called to follow too, to live a life that's worthy of that calling. See, as a Christian, Jesus is calling us to repent, not to rationalize, not to come abut our behaviors, just to repent from them. Now, I, I suspect like me, we all have something in our life that we probably need to repent from. We need to change our mind from. And this is something all of us deal with all the time as Christians. But, but will you, just for a minute, can you imagine what it would feel like, what it would look like to align that practice with, with the principle? Like, what would it look like? What would it look like if you did that? And the next question is, what, would it even really make a difference? Like, like, would it help? I mean, would it make your life better? I, I, I suspect it would. Uh, it, God has given us all these guidelines, these principles. And when we follow those guidelines, our life always goes to a better place. Even when we deny ourselves, it leads to a better thing for us. But, but I suspect it's bigger than that. I suspect it's bigger than just your life. Because come on, if we're honest, if this whole thing is just about you, if it's just about me, the best thing for me to do is to live for me. <laughs> Deny myself, why would I ever do that if I'm the most important thing to me? To die to myself, why would I do that? Why would I do anything that puts me anywhere other than first, if it's just about me? But, but Jesus seemed to think it wasn't just about me. J Jesus seemed to think it wasn't just about you. J Jesus seemed to think, as a Jesus follower, it was about him, more specifically, it was about God's kingdom. It was about salvation. It, it, it was about eternity. See, when Jesus concluded the idea, he helped the disciples understand why they should follow the recipe. He said, then, then Jesus said to his disciples, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to hold on to everything, whoever wants to deny everybody else but them, whoever wants to die to everything but not die to them, I mean, if you try to hold on to you, you're gonna eventually lose all of it. But if you, if you choose to lose it, if you choose to deny it for me, for the kingdom, for others, you're gonna actually find true life. You're gonna find peace. You're gonna find hope. You're gonna find what Jesus constantly called the kingdom of God, which is an invitation as a Jesus follower. Do, do you really wanna follow? Do, do you really wanna be a disciple? Do you really wanna experience the kingdom of God? Well, there is a recipe to do that, but it isn't easy to follow. It begins with denying ourselves and taking up our cross and mimicking what we see in our Messiah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, man, I wish it were easier. <laughs> I mean, becoming a Christian is so easy. It doesn't really cost us anything, but, but becoming a disciple following you, it costs us something every single day because denying ourselves is a daily thing and, and taking up our cross is a daily thing. Because every day there's practices that just bump into these Christian principles that cause so much tension. God, I just pray that, that you will give us the wisdom to see what it looks like to take those principles seriously and to honestly see our practices and to be honest with ourselves and to see where they're misaligned and, and give us the wisdom to see that, but then give us the harder thing, give us the courage to do something about it to actually choose to follow you, to make the choice to deny ourselves and put you first and put others ahead of us, God, knowing that in the end, it leads to finding life to the full. God, we love you. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. We pray this in your name, amen.